It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Jay Crawford, Adam the Bull, Garrett Bush, Tyvis Powell, Jason Lloyd. Plus, you're loving him, Mikey McNuggets. And so many big names, it would take me hours to say all of their names. The ultimate Cleveland sports show starts now. Booyah! <laughs> Welcome to the ultimate Cleveland sports show. Mikey McNuggets, Earl the Pearl, and back from the Buckeye Cruise, it is the one, the only, Tyvis Powell. And Tyvis? I got my tan. How was the cruise? You know, the cruise was good. We raised over $4 million. Uh, you said million? $4 million. $4 million. Uh, it was a good time being around all those former guys again. And that the new players, the current players were there. We had eight of them. Uh, they was actually really good. Um, it was a good time. Really good time. I Any, enjoyed myself. Uh... Uh, anything you want to share? Well, we only had share? we only had one blow up, one little <laughs> one little small altercation. You know, we was playing. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? <laughs> you see what Steve's doing? Yeah, right? Steve is just uh, Steve. What is wrong with you, man? <laughs> like I'm really trying to focus right now, and you you really messing this up for me. Anyways, you know I'm 30 now, so I'm not going. Oh, pay happy birthday, by the way. I'm not going to pay attention to what Steve got going on. So. Anyways, we was playing Are You Smarter Than the Fifth Grader? And let's just say that some passion came out. It was a group of former players versus the current players. And it was a very passionate moment that came out, you know, and, you know, things got went left. Steve wants to know, did you lose? But it was all right, though. We patched everything up, continued the game. It was was still a good time. But it was a small altercation I ain't going to go into detail about. But (laughs) just know that stuff did hit the fan. Tyvis did not participate in the game that led to the altercation, if you were wondering. So Tyvis was No, I did. Standard. I was there. I thought, I thought you just said No, you I was I was on that team that that the altercation took place, but I to me it was kind of funny to me, but I <laughs> it wasn't funny to the other team. <laughs> did y'all know this is the first time that the UCSS has had a panel that's thirty and over but under forty? Is that true? Yeah, G's old as hell. Wall's ancient. Jay could, you know, he's got more grays than yeah. Jay before Christ, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Put a young Steen on the show. We do. We do have director Steve. If Anthony was directed to be a full time sub forty panel, but sub forty first time, definitely BC for sure. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, well, Tyrus Rapid, have you back? Missed you last week. Lot to get into today, and uh, before we do that, and before I send it to Anthony, I do have one more question for you, Tyrus. You mm. turned thirty. You weren't here, so happy belated from Thank you. everyone at UCSS. Do you feel old now? Do no, you feel you know, like you hit that thirty-year-old plateau. And uh, when I woke up as a thirty-year-old, first of all, I, I got I got woken up. My daughter hit me right in my face. What she like? <laughs> head, she headbutted me. No, she had crawled into bed with me and my wife, and she like. When I woke up, she had head-butted me right in my lip and busted my lip. So I was like, this is how 30 going to start. But <laughs> I actually didn't feel old at all. I kind of felt the same. I felt like I'm actually in my prom. 
and I just felt more, a little more mature. That's all. Prom time time. Yeah. Like, I feel like I feel <laughs> like I told you I had a bunch of goals that I wanted to accomplish. I got ten years to get them to accomplish them, and I think I will. Upward and on your ties. We got a giant show for you guys today. We found out some more financial situations here with Jimmy Haslam and the prospective future New Brown Stadium. We're going to talk about Andrew Barry's plan to the offseason. Do fan opinions have any impact on a player's decision to re-sign or sign with the team? A little Cavs-Mavs preview in a top five you're not going to want to miss from Anthony Antonelli, who we will say what's up to for the first time today with our first read of the day. What's up, Ant? What's up, guys? Before we get into today's show, I want to remind everybody that you can get buckets first with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 bucks if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, and exclusive props. Just visit FanDuel.com UCSS and shoot your shot. FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. So this wasn't on the docket to start today, but we got some information. Cleveland.com put out the final numbers from the Flying Pilot J or Flying Company, or Pilot Company, excuse me, sale to Berkshire Hathaway Ooh. and Warren Buffett. The final number in totality for the sale, Earl, $13.65 billion for Wait Jimmy Haslam's fly, Flying Pilot J Ooh. company. We've talked in depth on this show about the perspective of New Brown Stadium, how to fund it, how to pay for it. Your very first Ultimate 216 show talked about your thoughts on Jimmy Haslam and why he should pay for the stadium himself. Mm. Now that you have some financial numbers to back up, and we knew it was going to be <laughs> in that ballpark. That's not completely out of the blue. It's just a, a financial finality now, knowing the actual numbers. Mm-hmm. Does it change your opinion? Does it make you feel more strongly in what you thought about beforehand about Jimmy paying for the stadium? And when you see a number like 13 $0.65 billion, Ooh. how do, would you feel if he asked the city to pay for half a new stadium? Ooh, I need a minute. <laughs> I need a minute. So first, first things first, $13.65 billion, that's a whole lot of money. But I guess I double down <coughs> on my original stance of Jimmy Haslam should pay for it. And before anybody jump in here saying, well, you know, if the city wants any part of the shared revenue or whatever, they should pay for it, and that's cool. I respect that if you're a resident from the city of Cleveland. But if you're making $100,000 plus and you don't even live in the city of Cleveland, I have a hard time hearing you tell actual residents that's in the city to pay for it. But check this out. According to the article, and Steve, you could pull this up. This is an article that I've seen on usnews.com in September of 2023. Cleveland ranked as the third poorest city in the United States with a median household income of... $35,562. Percent of residents with household income lower than $25,000 is 36.3%. That was as of 2023. This is from worldpopulationreview.com this year. Poverty in the United States is set by poverty threshold, which is a government set estimate of the point below which a household of a given size has a pre-tax income insufficient to meet minimum basic needs. They basically accumulated this list, 239 largest cities in the United States, with populations over 100,000. As of this year, Cleveland is the second poorest city in the United States. The Ooh. medium household income is $37,351. That was updated January 10th, 2024. The 2.6 billion that he just got on the back end, the 20%, falls around how much it would cost mm-hmm. to build a brand new stadium. So I doubled down on what I said before. 
I got a hard time with a billionaire owner coming to the mayor of the city of Cleveland who grew up poor in the projects, by the way, saying, hey, I need your taxpayers to help me pay for this stadium when you got so much more pressing issues. Like, in a, in a nutshell, <coughs> if we keep it in a hundred, we a broke-ass city, right? We a poor city. I just have a hard time with a billionaire coming to me saying, hey, I need you to pay for this. Now, on the flip side, I understand the pros and the cons. You know, like the, the economical and political backfire it can have if the Browns do not play downtown. I talked to a, a former councilwoman who served as a councilwoman for over 15 years, and she flat out told me, like, it would be catastrophic if the Browns were to leave downtown, yeah. but the city doesn't have much leverage. The owners have all the leverage. The best thing we could do is try to find a way to meet in the middle, but they will have to heavily incentivize us. So, like, what does that mean? You will have to invest in jobs in the community. You will have to invest in development in the community. And so, like, if you want the city to help pay for it, you're going to have to make sure the city gets something on the back end because the saddest part about all of this, knowing that this is a poor city and we got to pay for it, how many people can really afford in the city of Cleveland to take a family of four to a Browns game on Sunday? They've really made it damn near unaffordable to do so. Ty, what do you think? I don't think he's wrong in any way. First of all, I want to start off by saying Jimmy Haslam, let, somebody, let me borrow something. You know, I, I'm good for it. I mean, not that I'm good for it. <laughs> Technically, you don't even need it back. I, I ain't asking for a lot either. Just a couple dollars. You know, I'm a, I am an employee of yours. So, you know, you want to you know, throw me a little something, something. I appreciate it. But no, I think Earl is right. It is tough to ask. You know, how can you ask a poor city to help you build something when they already don't have it anyways? It's it's so hard in the day-to-day life. Like, everybody is struggling. You know, and it's, we get on this Instagram and Twitter and all these things, and you, you live the people live these false worlds about how, how they got all this money. And in the re- actuality of things, they people don't got it like that. You know, people are struggling out there. So I think that it's impossible to ask them to cut some more money out of their check that they already get cut again to help you build a stadium. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody wants a new stadium. Everybody would love to come to a dome stadium and, and you know, support and watch the Browns and, and that aspect. But if on the back end, if it's taken away from my family and it's taken away from me being able to save money to get out of my situation, then there's no way that I could do that, especially when you just made $13.65 billion and it costs you two of that to, to build a new stadium. So I think Earl is 100% right. Would I actually love a new stadium? Absolutely. But if you're going to take money out of people that is already struggling's pockets, there's no way that I could sign off on something like that. Yeah, I want to clarify. He didn't get a check for $13.65 billion. That's the lump sum they've been paid over, I guess this is seven years now. The first payment came in 2017, which was $2.76 billion for 38% of the company and change. Then in 2023, they got $8.2 billion for about 42%. This $2.6 billion was the final 20% of the payment. So in totality, it comes to about $13.65 billion. Great reporting in Cleveland.com, by the way for finding all those and kind of putting it together in a digestible way. And I always assumed it'd be a 50-50 split. That's just because of how the precedent has been set, not just in the NFL, but in the NBA and Major League Baseball, in terms of how owners go about obtaining a new stadium, Mm. right? It's always been a 50-50 split outside of L.A. with the Rams and Stan Kroenke, who just built his own stadium, purchased it, and financed it all by himself. Now, on the flip side... Kroenke gets all the benefits and 100% of the 
financial profits from that whole area because it's his. Mm-hmm. And I know if it's a 50-50 split, the city gets some sort of back-end help and, and jobs and all that. I also think in a perfect world, Haslam's going to move this stadium to Brook Park because Probably. he has more land to build developments, restaurants, bars, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just have a hard time looking at a, a price tag of $13.65 billion and knowing that's in your investment portfolio somewhere, whether it's all him, whether it's dispersed out the family. What, I don't know exactly how it gets divvied up, but to know a stadium's going to cost about $2 billion, give or take. Mm-hmm. And on top of your other businesses, you got 13.65 for this. How can you ask, to Earl's point, how can you ask one of the five poorest cities in America to help fund it when you already have it? Because I think the thing about the article that really stood out to me was the part about what they received on the back end. The last 20% of the payment made to the Haslam family was $2.6 billion. Jason sat here and said that it would cost around $2.2, $2.3 billion <coughs> to build a new stadium. And for me, I think Jimmy Haslam is a good owner. D- depending on who you are, you might disagree with that. But in this city, you know, you got people who are still pissed off that you paid Deshaun Watson $230 million. And some of these same people who don't like that, it's the same people that you asking, hey, I need your tax money to pay for the stadium, yeah. right? And then we've seen you take a percentage of your money and you go invest in the Milwaukee Bucks, right? We've seen what you've done with the Columbus crew. All I'm saying is from the naked eye, as a local Clevelander, when we look out and we see you dishing out this money left and right, like you got it, it's almost like going to buy a new pair of J's and your car break down. So now all of a sudden you'd have bought all these J's and you'd have put them in our face. Now your car break down and you come <coughs> to us and say, hey, I need help getting my car fixed. And there's no denying he has the money now. Right. Like we have the financial statements to prove he has it. And first off, by the way, kudos to you, Jimmy. Like my life goal is to have something that's worth $13.65 billion Man. and I can sell it off. Like all jokes aside, that is literally the American dream. So he's, he's made it. And the thing with the stadium, if he does build it himself, let's say it does cost two point, let's just use a round number, $2.5 billion. Mm-hmm. In the long run, that's going to make back so much more money than what it even costs to put in. So if I'm Jimmy, like, and I have the money, this may be, this may actually incentivize him to say, <coughs> appreciate the help from the city, but there's greener pastures in Brook Park and bigger financial outcomes for me if I pay for it myself. And it may take longer to reap those benefits and see that return on investment, but. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. This signals to me that this is probably not going to stay downtown. No, I don't think it is. Uh, yeah, me neither. I, I yeah. don't think it is either. And it sucks. I think it should But like, if downtown. I'm the mayor, it's like, man, what incentives you got for my people? Okay, you, you, you want to, like, let's have a real unemotional conversation right because my take is some facts in it but i'm emotionally driven off this like i said like he's from the mount pleasant projects mm-hmm. our mayor is 36 years old from the mount pleasant projects and you got a billionaire in his group walking into your office saying hey i need your help paying for this bib ain't never seen a million billion dollars in his life you feel what i'm saying so like just from a basic human man to man standpoint 
man, I got a hard time even having that conversation. But you know what? It ain't about me. It ain't about how I grew up. It's about the city of Cleveland. And yeah, it would be economically catastrophic, politically catastrophic if they was to leave here. But we don't have much leverage, right? We're limited in the space downtown Cleveland that we can even put a new stadium. And even if we found a place, where the hell the Browns going to play at until it's built? And then furthermore, like Jimmy... Oh, I know a place. <laughs> I'm interested to know that, but it's like... Columbus? <laughs> but it's like furthermore, like... It works. What, what incentives do you have <laughs> yeah. for the city of Cleveland? Like how many jobs are you going to create? How can you assist the city that's a struggling city? If you, if you claim on a long-term investment in the city of Cleveland, well, how can you get us off that top five poverty list, right? Like, how can you help us? And so, like, this, if, if we're going to have a real conversation about us putting our money towards it, then, like, yeah, but it should, be in so, it should definitely be some incentive there. There has to be a give and take on both yeah. sides, not just from the Haslam's, but from the city. If they are going to contribute to this, what, what's on the back end for them as well? So, right. I just feel like it, it won't be 50-50. That, that's just no way, especially knowing that price tag. Um, I think maybe if it was like a, if you put two, maybe we could come up with five hundred million. Like, all right, maybe you know you could look at it like that because Jason was talking about maybe doing it out of gambling, doing it out of the marijuana and stuff like that. All right, that's that's cool. That's a that's a decent way to do it. But if you're talking about you come up with one point two five billion and we come up with one, that that, 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 yeah, that we can't that, do that. It's no way. That's there's no way that that's gonna happen. It's so. just a tough tax to put on, and not not necessarily a tax, but just a tough ask for a city as Earl pointed out, is not because financially stable. To his point, you come up with 1.5. If I'm a police officer or a firefighter or a firefighter or an EMS worker in the city, I'm going to look at you like you lost your damn mind if, if I'm going to see you get that type of money away. If I'm a teacher, yeah, you a, for, teacher a teacher for the Cleveland public school system, you finna give 1.5 million to who? And, and, and we can't even get kids to, to graduate at a 50% clip? Are you kidding me right now? Yeah. Like th Those are the type of conversations, again, this is, a, this is a moral thing, but when it comes to dollars and cents, morality tends to go out the window, right? We know that. It's just, it's just unfortunate. I do think this thing is going to end up in, in Brook Park. It is. It, I, th it I think was, so. I think the it's more and more that comes out, the more and more my gut feeling, and, and I wish and I hope it stays downtown. I think Cleveland as a city is much better with the Browns playing downtown. I just think the reality of the situation, when you look at the financial benefits and the 100% ownership of the entire property potential for Haslam, uh, it's looking more and more like we could be dealing with the Brook Park Browns than the downtown Cleveland Browns in 2028, 2029, whenever that new stadium opens, which I can't even fathom. Like, they still a Cleveland yeah. Browns. They're not going to be called the Brook yeah, Park but, Browns. But, but, no, but, people, but you who know are people are going to call them. Yeah. People who are pissed off, they will be calling them the Brooklyn yeah. Browns, the Brook Park Browns, yeah. like the, the, the Ford Plant Browns, the whole nine. It's going to happen. All right, Ant, you got a quick read. We'll move on to our next topic. Yeah, guys, you guys mentioned Jimmy Haslam and the Columbus Crew. Well, I want to let you know that I'm looking for Columbus Crew tickets, Cavaliers tickets, Browns tickets, and any kind of ticket you can get. You can get it with Game Time. Game Time is the go-to place to get all of your tickets. I'm looking to go to see Messi in June. Super cheap tickets, considering who it is. You, all you guys have to do is go to download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDON20 and get $20 off your first purchase. Go to LOCKEDON. Uh, use code locked on for $20 off your first purchase. And if you want to use game time to go to the <coughs> Cavs game, you could also use promo code locked on as the Cavs take on the match. We'll talk about that coming up in a few minutes. Guys, Andrew Berry is going to speak to the media from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine here at 1230, which really means about 1245, which means we'll react to it on tomorrow's show. 
But <laughs> let's take a, a little gander and preview what we – it's just the reality how that stuff works. It's never actually at 1230. So what do you want? Tyler, start with you. One thing you want to hear from Andrew Berry today when he addresses the media sometime in the next two hours. Well, the first thing I want him is to say we need – a wide receiver and we're going to be in this draft process and we're going to do everything in free agency to try to upgrade that position I'm tired of him coming out saying we like what we have at that <laughs> position like stop it you know you don't you know you don't and it, the thing is you need to start admitting your mistakes you made a mistake you didn't some guys didn't turn out to be the guy that you thought they were and that's okay that's human nature but stop saying that we're happy with that position you're not so I want you to come out and say we're going to be very aggressive this all season looking at the wide receiver position we understand that Amari Cooper has one year left on this deal. Although we love to keep Cooper around and want him to retire a Cleveland Brown, we understand the nature of this business. So we're looking to upgrade there. And also we want to help Miles Garrett and get another playmaker on the opposite of Miles Garrett. We've seen how great this D-line has changed our total defense. Having that pass rush, having some guys in there that can make plays has really helped us become a more successful team. So we want to continue to build in that area. That's what I think you should say. And if you say something like that, everybody will go. <laughs> oh, what are you hoping Andrew Berry says today in the next two hours? When Andrew Berry comes out to speak to the media today, I hope the first thing that comes out is Mafia is, what's up, y'all? First thing first, me and Kevin Stefanski just both signed contract extensions. We're yeah. going to be here for the long call. So with that being said, it's time for me to get busy. Uh, we're going to be aggressive in the offseason, like Tyvis said. I want you to also know that I've had preliminary talks with Nick Tubb. We're working on a new restructured contract that'll keep him in Cleveland for the rest of his career. That uh, we're going to start talking to Miles Garrett, working on a new deal for the Defensive Player of the Year, and that Browns fans shouldn't worry. That we understand the team's needs, and we're going to do everything in our power to address every single need, so this team next year uh, can go contend for an AFC Championship and possibly make it to the Super Bowl. We understand that Amari Cooper has one year left. We understand that he's a wide receiver that's aging. We're going to do everything in our power to try to keep him possibly on a new deal. But we definitely, definitely are out here looking for more weapons to go on the offensive side of the ball to help a struggling wide receiver core. And most importantly, our franchise quarterback. I think what you guys both said is very valid. But I think you all missed the number one thing that we need to hear from Andrew Berry today. And that's an update on Deshaun Watson. How's the shoulder progressing? Is he throwing yet? Is he ahead of schedule? Is he behind schedule? Because all of the weapons <coughs> on the offensive side of the ball, the Nick Chubb situation, the defensive side of the ball, all that's null and void if Deshaun Watson isn't Deshaun Watson next season. We need DW4 to be as good of DW4 as we've seen during his time in Cleveland, and I'm, I'm curious to see what the update on his status is because we haven't spoken, heard from, or frankly seen, which is totally fine because he's rehabbing. We haven't seen Deshaun Watson since the end of the season, and nobody knows an update on his status better than the general manager of the team that employs him. So I hope Andrew Berry <laughs> comes out today and gives us a little insight into the progression of Deshaun Watson's recovery from the shoulder injury that knocked him out of the game, or he finished the game against Baltimore, had that terrific 14 for 14 second half with the bum ankle and the shoulder, which by the way, as we get more removed from that, the fact he went 14 for 14, led the game winning drive, led that comeback on not just a bum shoulder, but a bum ankle too, because he made a bunch of plays with his legs. Like, as, third and as, as we grow further and further from that game, like kind of the lore of that performance just gets better and better and better. But I'm really curious to see if Andrew Berry addresses, and I'm sure he'll be asked about it, uh, a status update on one Deshaun Watson. I also would like to know if there's any clarity on how the offensive play calling situation will be handled. And I know that's not necessarily an Andrew <laughs> Berry question. It's probably more of a Kevin Stefanski question when he speaks on Wednesday. But those are a couple things I am looking forward to hearing 
Andrew Barry addressed today. You know what he's going to say. He's going to come out. <laughs> that's the question like, for Kevin. This, this, Again, I know everybody I, wants to no, know that. But, like his but I'm saying, this is Kevin. what I want to I hear. Yeah, I, I know, but I'm that. just saying, we know Andrew Barry yes. so well. We know the, we know the lingo. We yes. already know. He we gonna, know the lingo. He's going to come right into this press conference, and he's going to say, you know, as the Cleveland Browns, you know, we're always looking to upgrade those positions. But, you know, right now we like where we are. We're happy with those guys that we have in those rooms. Deshaun Watson, you know, he's did a really good job. You know, we want to continue to support Deshaun in every way we can. So when we come back in the season, you know, he can have a really good season. My favorite. Well, that, it's good. My it's favorite gonna be is like, this. You're, not, you're going to say all this but not say nothing. That's, that's, this is my favorite way. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a good question. You know, as we get later on in the process, I think, you know, that's a better time to answer it. Right now it's just early on in the offseason. So that's a good question. We have to get, answer that later. And we're probably going to get a lot more of that than what we all hope to get. But that's the, the reality situation. Now, about the free agency plans, though, Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com, who's one of the friends of the show, put out an article yesterday kind of outlining what she believes <coughs> from speaking to people in the Browns will be their offseason plan. I want to highlight a couple of these and want to see if you guys agree. This is according to Mary Kay Cabot from Cleveland.com. The Browns' plan is to try and re-sign Taki Taki before he hits free agency, Smart. allowing them to set the market price, not see what he would get on the open market. Mary Kay said they would like to retain Mo Hurst and Shelby Harris, but they're fearful Jordan Elliott will want to hit the open market before they have a chance to negotiate a deal in-house, so potentially lose Elliott, keep Hurst and Harris. She mentioned <coughs> Harrison Bryant will likely test the open market, opening up a potential need at tight end. She also said that the Browns, and I want to I want to word this exactly as she did. Mm -hmm. The Browns want to retain Joe Flacco and Zadarius Smith, but they will let them hit the open market to dictate the price first. So they're not willing to offer up a deal until they know what the market value for Joe, Joe Flacco and Zadarius Smith is. However, in a perfect world, they like them both to come back. So you guys want to run down that list and see if we agree with Mary Kay Cabot's. This is not her opinion. This is her just reporting on what she thinks. The Browns plans, but you want to run down the list? I, yeah, we could do that. I mean, the first thing that kind of stood out to me was Taki Taki. Like and that's the first one. On the like list, yeah. when Taki Taki moved to that to that Mike linebacker mm -hmm. position, I remember talking to this man about it and just seeing how much more assertive he was, how much more aware he was, and how much more he was able to make plays out there on the football field. And I think Taki Taki can permanently move into the Mike linebacker position, which will fill a need because I don't think they're going to resign Anthony Walker. I think this is a good football player. This is a dude who, when you, you know, when you got good football players on your team, you want to do everything in your power to, like, keep those dudes here. And Taki Taki has been more than serviceable throughout his NFL career since he's been here. And uh, it'll be interesting to see him uh, kind of, like, you know, permanently take over that role and, and what he'll do with it. Yeah, Taki Taki's a good player. Um, the thing with Taki Taki that stands out to me is that sometimes he's not consistent. You know, sometimes he he makes plays where I'm like, dude, oh, that's really good. Like, you you get your zone drops, you get in that hook window, and you end up making a play there. Or, you know, you make some really good tackles when it's in between the tackles. Like, you do a really good job there. But then there's some games where, you know, there's been times where you just look completely lost. So, I think I'm giving it to the fact that it is – your first time really being at the mic. I know they did it last year before you tore your ACL. You was kind of forcing that position. It was good. This year it was kind of up and down. So I'm hoping that, you know, and on top of that, it was Jim Schwartz's new playbook. So I'm hoping year two in this system, you know, you're able to take that next step. You know, that's the thing. That's the next thing in your, your path to being a great linebacker. We already know that Cleveland Browns is not going to spend money at the linebacker position until JOK's contract comes up. And I think Taki Taki can get the job done because 
because he's done it. He just has to be more consistent. And him being year two under Jim Schwartz, which has done a really good job of simplifying things. If JOK can take that next step, then you also can take another step in your game and be a really good linebacker. And here's the thing with Taki Taki. So of all linebackers with at least 300 cover snaps last mm-hmm. year, he was one of the best coverage linebackers in football, not just by the eye test, but by the metrics. Now, when I say first, that means, that means best, even though it's going to be first in yards allowed or first in tar- uh, percentage targets caught, but that's the best. Right. Like, you want to be high. He was third in passer rating allowed, mm-hmm. 80.5. This is any linebacker in football, 300 targets. He was fifth in yards after catch allowed. So if you did catch it on him, then you ain't getting any further. He's tacking right away. And he was first in the percentage of targets caught, just 62.5%. So in coverage, Taki Taki, among all linebackers qualified, not just AFC board talking, NFC, any linebacker that played 300 coverage snaps, there were very few in football that were more productive, more efficient, and more valuable than Taki Taki. And with Anthony Walker most likely not coming back, he wasn't even mentioned in Mary Kay's article. We talked about the depth in the linebacker room without Anthony Walker and Taki Taki, and it's a bunch of nobodies outside of mm-hmm. JOK. With all due respect, that's unproven commodities on the NFL level. Taki Taki was awesome last year, and I only have reason to believe he'll get better in 2024 with a set position in the mic position for the Jim Schwartz defense and more reps under his belt. I don't know why he'd regress. I think the sky's the limit for this dude. Yeah, like I say, when I watched him, he was one of the very few. Him and JOK did a really good job of hitting the, getting back in coverage, and I think – well, I don't think I know, talking to some people inside of the Browns building, that was like one of the biggest differences between Jim Schwartz and Joe Woods. For some odd reason, the linebacker play, when it came to getting back in your, your curls and getting in the passing lanes, they didn't do a good job with Joe Woods, which we I pointed out a bunch of times. Yeah. I remember the Falcons game. I'm like, what the heck are y'all doing in this? But anyways, last year under Jim Schwartz, they did a really good job of getting in coverage mm-hmm. and making plays, you know, and it's when you're playing DB, when you got those linebackers that's getting 10 to 12 yards in those hook windows that can stop those digs or make that quarterback put just a little bit more air under the ball, it allows you to be able to run underneath it and make those plays. So I thought both of those guys, they're both athletic enough to get it done. And like I say, as long as they continue to keep getting better, which anybody, everybody gets better year two in the same, in the, under the same defensive staff. Yep. You know, I've, under Jim Schwartz for my second year, I don't have to go over the basics anymore because I know it like the back of my hands. Now let's talk about other things. Let's look at advanced things. Let's look at when the running back is five yards instead of seven yards. Expect this. Or when the tight end is in the grave digger. I should expect the knees type of routes. Like that's where your mind should start going now. And that's what makes you become a pro bowler or all pro and become better at your position. So we're on the same page. Don't let Taki Taki at the open market. Yeah, he's no. much better to Cleveland. And, he, and you drafted him, yeah. so you're you going to want to pay him anyway. Well, some of the defensive <laughs> tackles here, according to Mary Kay, they would like to re-sign Hurst and Harris. They're probably feeling that uh, Jordan Elliott will test the open market. Earl, we talked about this last week when we did the defensive tackle foundation. Tyvis, if they go with Hurst and Harris as mm-hmm. the two they bring back to pair with Tomlinson and Siaki Ika, are you comfortable with that four-man defensive tackle rotation? Yeah, I'm comfortable with it. Um, when I, I mean, Elliott made a lot of plays this year. I mean, he He's went really good. he went from a guy that G. Bush was through with to a guy that was we start seeing consistently week after week, especially towards later in the season. But I think Shelby and Mo Hurst both have are one. They're veterans and they've been in this league for quite some time. And like I said, I always told y'all, Shelby got one special ability that you can't really account for. Those PBUs is big. 
and getting your hands up and knocking those balls down really do play a big part, especially if you're going up against like the Patrick Mahomes and the Josh Allens. If you can get, you can steal two or three extra reps from a guy knocking the ball down and don't have to worry about them getting the first down or something. That's big. Mo Hurst. Only thing with Mohurst is that he just gets hurt. I mean, he his production was really good when he yeah. was in there. I mean, the guy made a ton of plays when he was in there, but his durability is not good. And that's the only thing that scares me. Am I okay with them letting Jordan Elliott test the market? I, Jordan Elliott will get paid because defensive tackles is a premium. If you got a good defensive tackle, you keep him yeah. and you forever. Are you always on the hunt looking for one? And I think he'll find a home relatively fast. But I do, if they want to roll with Harris and Hurst, I'm cool with that because I think as long as Hurst stay healthy and Harris is a great veteran and a guy that you can rotate in there that can do something, that's, that can be productive on the defense. Yeah, I'm all for keeping Mo Hurst, and I understand the injury concerns, but like I said last week, you get 10 to 12 games out of this dude with the production that he put forth last year, and as he alluded to, when you're in year two of a system, things kind of slow down. You know, you're able to do what you do even better. I'm all for bringing him back, even with the concerns of him being hurt, just simply <coughs> because I know what he gives me when he's out there on the field. Same thing with Shelby Harris. Like, even though he's a veteran, like, th those PBUs is real. You know what I mean? When we do those game stats on Sundays after the games, and it's, it don't look like it's much, but when you actually watched it and you realized the impact that he have on a football game, I can see why you want to bring him back. I can also see why... Uh, Andrew Berry might be willing to let Jordan Elliott hit the open market. This is a dude he drafted, and yeah, he was good last year. But if I'm at, if I'm AB, as you talked about start, starting the show, sometimes you got to admit your mistakes. And maybe he's just not sure, you know, if he can get the same type of production out of Jordan Elliott like a, another season. Who Who's to say that that wasn't just – a one-year motivation type thing because he know he needs to go out here and get paid. Mm. And so the fact that Andrew Barry is willing to let a guy that he actually drafted hit the open market, I think that that's alarming, you know, but not in a bad way, more so in a good way. And so that could show his growth if, if you if you so speak as, as a GM. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you can find the uh, uh, upgrade there. But I think, like, once we see players get franchise tagged and we actually know what the free agent market will look like, mm -hmm. I think we have a better idea of the route that they're going to go, especially with that position. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it shows more trust in Siaki Ika taking a step from a non-factor at all as a rookie to being a guy that can play in the rotation as a sophomore if they're going to let Jordan Elliott go because I think the combined price tag on a one-year deal for Hurst and a one-year deal for Harris will probably be in the similar range to what Jordan Elliott gets on a multi-year deal. Yeah. Whether Elliott gets, you know, six, seven, eight million, you're going to get Hurst and Harris for two, three million each. So would you rather have two for one? Does Harris and Hurst equal Jordan Elliott? I feel pretty good if that's the trade-off, assuming you feel confident in Siaki Ika taking that next step. Well, the one thing that we know for sure is that you can't afford to get that wrong. I mean, we yeah. we seen a season where we didn't have defensive tackle play, and it was a disaster. I am confident that both of those two, obviously Shelby, because I played with Shelby. Shout out to you. And but, Shelby never <laughs> misses games, by the way. We yeah, talked uh, about his durability is, is incredible for a defense. But tackle. I think... I do believe that with the with the defensive coordinator that you have, he just does a really good job of always having good D linemen, especially at the defensive tackle position. It's I don't know what he asks of them, but whatever it is, they get it done. And to be able to rotate guys, you're always pretty fresh. 
So I think that in, in, with this decision, you're trusting that Jim Schwartz knows what he's doing, which he has a track history of knowing that. Real quick on Harrison Bryant. They signed Jordan Aikens last year. Earl, I know you thought that would be a, a bigger impact signing than it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. I thought Bryant actually was a really, really, really good second tight end for them, especially considering he was their fourth and inches sneak quarterback in the package <laughs> Stefanski <laughs> developed. <laughs> he's going to test the market, may come back, but I do think losing Bryant, you could always replace him with a blocking tight end draft a guy, but... I thought Brian was a pretty valuable piece of this offense, and at least the guy I would hope Barry, depending on the price tag, will look into bringing back as well. I just think I can understand in this case, again, why he's willing to let him hit the open market. This is a dude that you drafted who was the best tight end coming out of college, best pass-catching yeah. tight end coming out of Mackie, college. He won the Mackey, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when you don't kind of get the return on investment as far as production on a football field from him, you could be a little bit reluctant to want to travel that road again. Um, I can see the Browns actually drafting a tight end either way. I can see that this too. this year in the draft, but you know you're not gonna you're not gonna like overpay this dude. And so yeah. it is smart to go out there and let him set his own market based on his production over the first uh, four years. And if the Browns can get him back at a at a at a decent price, I can see them bringing him back and still drafting a tight end because Aikens is getting older, and you want to have a dude on a rookie contract so we're not talking about salary cap. When they come to that position, I look at that Harrison Bryant. Harrison Bryant did a really good job. I thought he was very productive this season. But when you look at this roster makeup, listen, this team is going to more so an air raid. We're going to be passing the ball a lot. Right. I don't think they really. When you bring in a guy like Ken Dorsey, you're not looking to run this out of 12 personnel. When I say 12 personnel, I mean two tight end sets, two wide receivers. Like, that's not what you – when you think of passing the ball. He wants deep, to spread it out. You think of – 13. You think of 11 personnel, one tight end, and three wide receivers, or maybe 10 personnel, no tight ends. David Njoku took that next step. I think the reason that they kept Harrison Bryant around for so many years is because he was an insurance policy. It was if David Njoku – gets hurt or doesn't actually turn out to be that guy, mm-hmm. we got a guy who won the Mackey. We got a guy that we could trust there. We got a guy that Kevin Stefanski trusts. And once David Njoku started to take off this year with Joe Flacco and, you know, towards the end of that season, it solidified. Like, this guy is a player. He's going to be really good. He's, he, he's a top five yeah, tight end in this league. So we don't need that insurance policy anymore because we know David Njoku can do it. He's gone out there and he's proven it. So, yes, we are okay with letting Harrison Bryant walk because we can definitely just draft another guy because the next guy, we just need him to come in on some run blocking plays or something like that anyways. We know we have the pass threat in David Njoku. We know we have the mismatch with David Njoku. So we're not going to waste money because we're already trying to figure out how to keep everybody anyways. We can't afford to waste money on a tight end too when we can always just get a guy on a rookie deal that can come in and have that same productivity. I know it's not apples to apples, but it's funny that you brought that up because, like, even on Madden, right, when you go 10 personnel, yeah. David Njoku is, is in it's that package. It's four receiver, one Right, and so, yeah. like, to his point, you know, he really broke out last season and showed that he's that dude and he's yeah. only going to get better. We've heard Deshaun Watson talk about, man, we finna be passing this ball left and right. And then when you go back to, you know, watching Ken Dorsey be the offensive coordinator and and uh buffalo like you know knox was doing his thing right and then they they drafted what's their dude name Kincaid, and they had an idea early on in the season about how to use them both and never really developed the way that they want to 
And so I don't see Dorsey really wanting to run too much 12, 13 personnel either, man. This is going to be one of those vertical downfield offenses that we thought we was going to see last season. We're going to legit see it this year. That brings us to the last two, and these guys fall in the same category, but we'll go one at a time. Darius Smith, Joe Flacco, according to Mary Kay, the Browns will let both of these guys set the market. They want to bring them back, but they can't guarantee it. Uh, I'll start with Darius Smith real quick, guys. He has said, even when he came to Cleveland, he's a mercenary. He wants to get paid. Like He looks at this as his next paycheck, his next job. I'm going to imagine, and I don't want to speak for Darius, but just based on his track record as a player, he's going to take whatever team offers him the most money. And I can't foresee a world with Alex Wright and Ogbo in that same position, and obviously Miles Garrett, but you're not taking Miles this time, where another team wouldn't offer him more money than the Browns would feel comfortable. So I, I think he's going to set the market. I'd be surprised to see him back in the Browns. <coughs> the only way Zadarius Smith is coming back is if, one, he really, truly loved being around the Cleveland Browns D-line. You know, if he, if yeah. he got here and he was like, you know what, I really like these guys. We really got a good thing going. And he can foresee himself winning a championship. He's like, you know what, they got all the pieces there. It is a championship mindset. You know, we just kind of tripped over our own feet. We had a lot of injuries, blah, 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 blah. But I think that we can win a Super Bowl in Cleveland. If he thinks that, he'll take the, he won't take the big money. He'll go to a place that's comfortable, that a place that he enjoyed. If he enjoyed playing football opposite of Miles Garrett, then he'll come back because he knows he'll have that, pro, that he can have some production because teams won't be scheming for him. But if it is about the paycheck, which if you say that's what he's saying, then there would, there's no way. There's no way because Alex Wright was very productive towards the end of that season. Ogbo is still here. And it, he never really was Zadarius to me. He had a, he maybe had maybe one game where he looked Giving really good. Yeah, but outside of that, this is like one of his worst productions or, or worst seasons of production. Yeah. So it's like, why would I go back there if I'm not being so so the so the case utilized properly? You know. So I, if you if, think Alex Wright or Ogbo could give you equal to similar production, yeah. Why would you? Contract, why would you spend that money? Exactly. And if I'm Zadarius, this is one of my worst seasons. Why would I go back there? That's so. I'm gonna go to a place where I'm. If I ain't at least, a, if I'm not gonna be productive, at least I'm getting paid a ton of money. So like, that's the way I look at it. But I, I mean, for, for me, I'm, this is the one approach that I'm kind of tired of seeing Andrew Berry take. For the last three seasons, we didn't had a veteran pass rusher. That, that's been 30 years old plus opposite of Miles Garrett. <laughs> yeah. On a one-year deal, banking on that we was going to get the same production from this player that they got elsewhere. I think it's really time to cash in on a legit star pass rusher opposite of Miles Garrett. And I'm saying that I love Agbo and I love Alex Wright. I think when they drafted Alex Wright, they viewed him as the pass rusher of the future. I think he came along strong at the end of last season, but I don't think he's ready yet. And as good as Agbo is, I can't see him as an every-down pass rusher, which is why I keep coming back to a dude like Brian Burns. I think it's time uh. to, to spend some serious dollars opposite of Miles Garrett, lock you up a 25-, 26-year-old pass rusher for the next four or five years, and stop with this every offseason cycle of, let me go get me a defensive end that's 30-plus years old on a one-year deal playing across uh, Miles, and then when the production don't match, we coming back here having conversations about Miles Garrett's sacks going down yeah. towards the end of the season because of his double teams and things like that. This is the one area to where I hope Andrew Berry is willing to take a different approach 
that he has the last three offseasons. Brian Burr is a free agent. Yeah. He has not been tagged. He's not been unlikely tagged to be tagged, according to reports out of Carolina. That man going to get so he's, yeah, he's going to get a bag back. So <laughs> just, to, just to make sure I got this straight, you're not paying market price for, for Zedarius. If he wants hmm. to come back on a discount, what's happened back, you'd be welcome. But market price, you'd rather go and spend that money elsewhere and spend a little more on another defensive end. So, so di- my dilemma is this. I never want to turn, turn, turn away a guy who really wants to be inside my organization, right? Especially if it's not about dollars and cents. But at the same time, I'm really not sure if I want Zadarius Smith back. If, if I'm being honest, I'm not sure if I want him back. I need somebody that can be way more productive opposite of Miles Garrett, especially if we're talking about, you know, rolling what we, what we have at the defensive tackle position on top of that, right? Mm. Like, let's let, like, Alex Wright continue to develop Let's let uh, Agbo do what he does as a specialist and get a dude in here that can, like, truly dominate yeah. opposite of him. And I just don't think that dude is a Darius Smith. Well, Joe Flacco, test the market. Would you pay market price for Joe Flacco to be Deshaun Watson's backup? I definitely <laughs> won't. I want Flacco back <coughs> as Watson's uh, backup quarterback. I think Joe Flacco was good for DTR. I think he's good for Deshaun Watson. I think he's good for the Browns organization. Like, who's who better – to have on, on your roster and in your quarterback room than a veteran who's been in this league 17, 18 years that has seen damn near every type of defense, damn near every type of situation, and can help your franchise quarterback navigate some of the things that some of the hurdles that he's going to you know have to come deal with as he come back from this injury and just dealing with everything that's being Deshaun Watson, right? And then you look at the fact that Deshaun Watson is coming off an injury. And we see what Joe Flacco was able to do for the Cleveland Browns last year when he got his opportunity. <coughs> I don't know what DTR is. Mm-hmm. And so for me, Joe Flacco is that bridge. I know he's good for Deshaun Watson. I know for a fact he can help a young pup like DTR become better. And I just think how he carries himself, like his mentality, his professionalism, I think he's good for the Browns franchise and I think he's good for the city of Cleveland. Ty? I let Joe Flacco walk and keep Philip Walker Jr. <laughs> We just let Tyson walk. <laughs> just let, just no, let walk. Yo, I knew he was. Listen, I knew he was. Nah. Wow, because Philip is a winner, huh? Philip is a winner, but no, listen. No, I would. First of all, Joe Flacco ain't coming back to Cleveland. Joe Flacco wants to be a starter. Joe Flacco will be a New England Patriots with AVP next year. So I think that once you let him test the market, I think that AVP was like, "Hey, you and I did well together. Come on over here to New England. We got to draft a quarterback, anyways. We want you to groom the guy that we select with the third pick in the draft, who probably is a Jaden Daniels or something like that. We want you to groom that guy, but we want you to start off because we know that you're good and we know that you prepare well." So I think that he's going to end up being in New England next year. But if he doesn't and he want, and, and Cleveland wants to spend some money and bring him back, absolutely you take Joe Flacco back. Why? Because you push Deshaun Watson, even though, like I said, Deshaun Watson needs no more motivation. But you also push him, make him become the best. And on top of that, I think that he learns a lot from Joe Flacco. Like I said, Joe Flacco's a Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, blah, 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 blah. Did really well in this offense, even though the offense is changing. It'll also help build the locker room up. He's a great locker room guy. I mean, you've seen some of the interviews. Um, once he took over, everybody was so happy with Joe Flacco here. So I think his presence in the locker room is really great as well. So if you can bring him back, Bring him back. But I do believe that he will be a New England Patriot next year. So if he's a New England Patriot next year, then Phillip Walker is, is your choice for backup quarterbacks? DTR. 
I mean, it's it'll, the, be it'll be dope. I'm asking this man. <laughs> if Philip Walker isn't on your roster, you're doing something Stop wrong. It. I mean, the man. What's his? What was his record again last year? It, it, do, it doesn't matter. I, I, Tyvis's, Tyvis's <laughs> main point was right though. For the right price, you take Joe Flacco back a hundred out of a hundred times. If he's gonna get paid starter money. I don't know how you match starter money for a quarterback eight, seven, eight, nine million dollars, whatever that may be, to have him sit behind Deshaun Watson because it is unequivocally, unquestionably Deshaun Watson's team in twenty twenty four. Got to move on to the com. Or one more thing. Earlier. Yeah. So I was gonna ask you. Okay, if it's not Flacco, so you saying like, would you would you consider another? Backup quarterback, or would you just be okay with it being DTR? I don't hate the idea of it being DTR. I'm, I'm actually comfortable with DTR being the backup, and I've in a perfect world. I think Brissett's going to be yeah. two, three, four million dollars. I think it'll cost half of what Flacco does. I take Brissett back. In all Aubrey, Joe, if I can't get Joe Flacco, give me Jacoby Brissett back. Either way, I need a bridge yeah. between DTR and Deshaun Watson. I think at the end of the day, if Watson gets hurt. The season's over anyway. Ah, uh, we yeah. said that before. We said that last year. We said that before. It was over last year. No, we said that before. It was over last year. We said that before. You tell you tell Miles Garrett that. You tell Martin it, Cooper that. It's the reality that. of the NFL, man. It, so, it, it, so, it is so, what it is. so, so, if Deshaun Watson gets hurt hypothetically, and we got Joe Flacco or Jacoby Brissett, we got a healthy Nick Chubb. You still saying the season over? Yeah, win the Super Bowl with that. You don't think so? Jacoby Brissett's not winning a Super Bowl. Okay, if if he but the season Joe Flacco's not winning a Super the season being over and winning the Super Bowl is two different things. Your goal is to win a Super Bowl. If you're, if you're content just making the playoffs, sure. But if your end goal is to build a Super Bowl roster and Deshaun Watson get hurt, I love Jacoby Brissett, but he sure as hell ain't winning you a Super Bowl. So, you know, but he, you know who he is? Philip Walker. There you go. All right, and if that's act the like, case. Act like you know something. If that's the case, we all live. All right, Tyrese, the NFL <laughs> Combine is officially underway in Indy. Andrew Berry speaking to the media at 1230. Give or take, Kevin Stefanski speaks tomorrow. The Browns don't have a pick till number 54 <coughs> in the second round. Are you... As a combine alum yourself, as interested in the NFL combine this year as you have been in previous years. So listen, let me, <laughs> let me tell you about the combine. First of all, the combine is really for guys that tape is okay. You had seller tape though. My tape, my yeah. tape was it's okay. I mean, my thing is who I was as a person, as a player was, I was a big time playmaker. Like I made plays in the biggest moments. That's who I was. That was my thing. Now, before those big moments came, everything might not have been all gravy. You know, I might've had some MAs. I might've missed some tackles and stuff like that. But when push came to shove, when it was time to make a play, there I was. But the, the combine is literally for guys that tape is just okay or if it's for guys that they're on the fence about. You know, like, I, it's just got a good player or not. I can't really tell. Then they go out there and they have a really good combine and it makes those, those NFL execs go, let me go back and look at his tape again. Let me go reassess his tape again. And a lot of the times what you don't realize is if you test really well, like say you're really fast, say you go out there and run 4-3-4-2, and they turn the tape on, but you don't look like 4-3 or 4-2. It's like, what are you doing? Um, and I think that's what the combine is. But if you're a first-round pick, a lot of the first-round picks don't do anything at the combine. Like Marvin Harrison for Ohio State, he ain't doing nothing. But he ain't even know. He's not yeah, showing up. Yeah, it's no point. In, what am I, go look at my tape. What do, I need to, yeah. what do I need to go out here and run these cones? What is that going to change? Like, at the end of the day, Press play and what, what do you see when you press play? That's really what this game is about. So the combine to me is really kind of overrated, but it is for guys. I love seeing guys that 
nobody really knows too much about. Like a guy that go to like the Mac school or something like that. Nobody really know about him. He goes out there and run a fast time, and now next thing you know, this guy gets taken in the third or fourth round. Like those are cool stories. But at the end of the day, the combine is really just nothing. Because at the end of the day, you got to press play. What do you do when the, when the shoulder pads and the helmet is on? So that's my whole thought on the combine. All right, so this is the second person that I consider a true friend of mine that has actually participated at this event. Cecil? Did yes. you see a combine event? Has told me verbatim the same thing. <laughs> he said, bro, it's the most, I ain't going to say the word. He really said, he said it's the most overrated thing in the world, yeah, man. Take the combine. And he, gotta... he basically alluded to, he said, man, I got three, four years of tape at Mount Union. Yeah. If you don't know what I can do by now, you ain't going to never know what I can do. It is funny because, like, I'm still interested as a fan because even though we don't have a, a first-round pick, most of your starters and, and, and traditional role players that you see on the field all the time are not first-round picks. They pick sec- second-round picks, third-round picks, fourth-round picks. Unless you're the Falcons' picks. offense. Unless you're the Falcons' offense, right? Yeah. And so it would be interesting to see who show themselves that I might not know about so I can, like, gain some buzz and have somebody to talk about when we're having these, these conversations. Um, you know, you still got to go out there and draft players. You can't fix every single thing in free agency. And the draft is typically when you kind of get that, that next guy that you hope to be have developed before, you know, that, that said player that played that, that position contract is up. And it's funny because, uh, you know, Typhus, you, you actually know uh, my cousin, and he has a story of how it, the combine can hurt you. You know, my cousin D. Miller, when he was coming out of Ohio State, was, was, was touted as a, a top five wide receiver in that draft. They get him to the combine and they, they twist and turn and stretch him out and put him through all these different tests. And then they uncover an injury that he didn't believe was an injury prior to. And he went from being ranked as a top four or five wide receiver to being Green Bay's second wide receiver drafted in the yeah. sixth round. I think him and Donald Driver was both drafted by the Packers Ooh, in the sixth round. Donald Driver. And so, like, because I remember, you remember back <coughs> in the day, you could get to play Diller Ooh. around the combine and just show you the top five players in each position. Yeah. And I still remember seeing his name on that list. He go to the combine, and everything he thought was going to happen through his process was derailed simply because of the combine. So the combine can help you or hurt you. That's so what this, I'm saying. This is why I'm actually excited about the combine this season in particular for the Browns. Now, Tyvis, you said it earlier. The Browns need, number one need this offseason wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. This draft class is historically loaded with prospects that have passed the scouting grade test in the 90s and up or 88s and up, whatever you want to qualify as high-end tier prospect. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors of LSU, and Rome Adunzie, I believe I pronounced that correct, mm-hmm. of Washington. They'll be top seven, eight picks, right? They're yeah. going to be top ten picks. Yes. They're not participating at the combine. But the next crop of receivers after that is deep. And a bunch of these guys have first-round grades. And there's a chance that not just one, but two, three, four of these guys could potentially fall to the Browns at 54. And these guys, to my knowledge, and unless I've missed something, 
These guys were all participating in the combine. Brian Thomas of LSU, Troy mm-hmm. Franklin of Oregon, Ladd McConkie of Georgia, Tez Walker of UNC, Xavier Worthy of Texas, Jalen Polk of Washington, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina. There are a ton of receivers outside <laughs> of that top, top, top tier is going to go top 10 that could be available when the Browns hit the board. And to see how those guys kind of separate themselves is something I'm interested so in what, seeing. What do you, what do you, okay, so let me ask you. They sleep on Xavier Leggett, by the way. I bet you know. No, I'm saying people sleep on that dude. Oh, yeah, he's, what, line, he's a stud. So what, like, what would like make you be like, oh, yeah, they got to get this guy? It's, so it's the 40, they do the 40-yard dash, the bench press, the shuttle drill, the cone drill, all that stuff. Yeah. You know these guys are athletic. Mm-hmm. But then when you have a guy, you're like, all right, let's use, uh, let's use Ladd McConkie for an example, right? Who is that? The Georgia slot receiver. Okay. Who just, who on paper doesn't look that fast. Mm-hmm. He runs a four, say he ends up running a four four. Okay. It's like, oh, maybe he's got a little more to him than I thought. Or a guy so like. So you're doing exactly what I just, what I said. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you're gonna be but like, as a fan, like, that's, that's what I want to get excited. Now, granted, whether he runs a four four, four five, four six, what he does on the field is more important than what he does in spandex shorts and a. What do you call those shirts? Like the compression shirts? Yeah, compression. Yeah, like like none of that stuff really matters. But when you have a guy you like or think your team may like, and then you see him run a phenomenal 40 time or jump or whatever, I'm just like, oh, I like that guy a little more. So I'm excited about seeing the I mean, second crop of receivers <coughs> who aren't the top, t- the top 10 guys. Like those guys aren't going to be there. Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunzier. Like they have no chance of being on the board when the Browns pick. But that next crop, to figure out who I may like a little more, and if I'm close on a guy like a Brian Thomas from LSU and a Troy Franklin from Oregon, like if I'm close on their evaluations, well, the combine is a chance to see them side by side. You I may just, like one's physical traits more than another. Like I said, it, at the end of the day, what you it does exactly what I just said. You was going. Yeah. <laughs> Us fans is going to watch these times, yeah, exactly. and they're going to be like, oh, my God, he ran a 4-3. Let me go look at his tape. That's how Trayvon Walker became the first overall and, pick in the draft. Over Aiden, over Aiden Hutchinson. He shouldn't have been. I, but I'm saying, like, yeah. and once again, it's, not, it, it's not a perfect sign. He had 10 sacks this year. Actually, had a decent No, season. I say he had a decent season. But, like, it's not a perfect science, but it just it gives you more data points when you're trying to evaluate a certain prospect. It, what it does is it, it, it really messes up your thought process, to be honest with you. Because, like I say, a guy, a guy goes out there. If I see one of these receivers or, or DB go out there around 4-3, mm-hmm. right, I'm gonna go back and look at his tape. Like, let me. Okay, that that's really good. Let's go look at his tape. Let's see what he does on the in the game. But he get he get burnt by other receivers, or he get or this receiver can't really create no separation. It's like, okay, what was the point of you running this forty time? What's going on? So like, and there have been guys at the end been, of the day. There have been guys. I'm drafted, looking at the tape. Drafted off forty times. Yeah, John Ross, John, the guy uh, from South Carolina. He ended up. Uh, Trist, uh, uh, the Raiders the... drafted him, from, or Maryland. Darius Hayward Bay oh, was drafted yeah. off a of 40 time. And, and these guys yeah. don't pan out. And it happens more often than not where these gaudy combine numbers don't necessarily translate to what you want to see on the field. But as someone who's looking and craving football content, That's this what is, is what we have in front of us. That's so, yes, I'm going to get naturally excited about it. And I, I like what he said, though. It makes you think too much. So, basically, like if yeah. this was draft day and you have Vontae back no matter what, but you didn't see Bo Callahan. Now you in your head, and you didn't th- you didn't talk to yourself on Avante Mack because you didn't see Bo Callahan. Only to find out his teammates didn't come to his birthday party, and you go back to draft Avante Mack anyway. 
But this, what is uh? Do you know what? What did Cedric Tillman run? You know what he ran in his forty? Probably four or five. Let me look at that. I think forty yard dash is overrated. It yeah, is because you ain't never gonna run forty yards straight. Yeah, like, he ran a four I mean, five four. Four five. Yeah. He, he could run a four <laughs> five four, but he couldn't get open to save his life. That's my point exactly. Yeah, so like, <laughs> but it's it, no. Point. I don't think anyone expects what they do at the combine to be perfectly translatable to on the field stuff, which is why Marvin Harrison Jr. said, "I'm not wasting my time training for something that doesn't apply to football." I understand, and I like trust me. I'm not drafting <laughs> a guy just because he runs a fast time and a forty or benches. Two, what did you get on the bench press, by the way? Fifteen. I wouldn't. I wouldn't draft a safety. You are, because he you are. I, I sent the whole thing with my I, number. I don't, I don't remember you exactly. Numbers, but I'm not drafting a safety because he benched two twenty five yeah. forty eight times. I benched but, fifteen on the on that four four six thirty four and a half vertical jump one hundred and twenty broad jump three cones seven oh three. I ran seven oh three. I was six. You ran a four four six. Come on now. Hey, listen. I was going to give you your props. Come on now. I was going to give you your props. Name a player from Cleveland that played for Ohio State that didn't run a 4-4. I'll wait. I'll wait. Where is Malcolm Jenkins from? I don't know. Ain't he from uh, Grace Mount? I think he is. Yeah. Draymond Jones. (laughs) Draymond did, but Malcolm Jenkins Jenkins ran a 4-5. And he had to. He had to. Grade school with Draymond's wife. He had to use Ted Ginn's practice film to show that he could cover fast wide. I I tell people like people be thinking I'm crazy when I say this, but the the only person historically in certain events faster than Jesse Owens, Ted Ginn Jr. That boy was fast. <laughs> he probably wheels. he's still fast. Ted probably still fast, man. <laughs> I, I bet you he can run a four five today. Man, Ted no, probably no can structure. still run a four three today. How old is Ted now? Ted what thirty seven? Oh, he can still okay. Yeah, I thought I thought he was older. I know Joey Galloway could used to run a four two, and he like who you think faster, Sean Springs, I, wait, Joey Galloway, wait, I, or Ted Ginn Jr. <laughs> yeah, I got I got a question for you because Joey liked that. Ted liked that too. I don't know. That's actually be a good race. Is that about Nate Prime or today? Yeah, Nate Prime. Ty, I heard that the... Ted was different. <laughs> no idea if this is true. I just heard a rumor. <laughs> that the testing facility at Ohio State is really 39 and a half yards, not 40. Oh so everyone's ha- never runs 40 times, like half, of, oh half a second gosh. or two up. Can you confirm I, or deny? I have no comment on that because... No I didn't. I didn't run. <laughs> I didn't run my forty at pro day. I ran mine at the combine. When you run a four four six on laser, you probably want to stick with that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time is like I'm No, but at Ohio State, when you do see what people don't know at pro day, there's no laser. There's all hand time. Uh-huh. So everybody got to watch. So you yeah. have thirty two different times. They all stand around it. Yeah. yeah. So. Of course, hand time is faster than laser time because some people got a fast finger, some people got a late finger. So that's why when I ran that four four laser F A T, I was like, "Speaking of done, and the second like, done, you Mama." Yeah, guys, before we move on to our next one, I want to remind everybody that you guys can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. You guys can bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and much more. Just visit FanDuel.com UCSS and shoot your shot. FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. And so Mike, you want to say- hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.